the sound of praise for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Was the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Potasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on Talk Radio 77 WABC, here's the Reb and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reb, before we go further, I just want to say sorry on behalf of the Jewish community, all the Hanukkah traffic in New York City, <laughs> all the congestion around Rockefeller Center. We're sorry Hanukkah ends you know, uh, at the end of the day and you know, the traffic will subside. I, I got to tell you, it's not easy navigating. But as we look at Hanukkah, uh, you know, there's something very beautiful. I was telling uh, some people about it and also the Christmas tree. There are no names for the candles. You know, it's one candle, a second candle, a third candle. The one that's higher is just called the one that serves. But there's no name. The Christmas lights, you don't name the, the lights. Right, and right. Maybe, maybe that reminds us there are a lot of people who go through this world unnamed, unheralded, unheralded, who do a lot of good, bring a lot of light into the world. They don't seek the applause, the attention. And we are very, very uh, thankful that we have such people in our lives. I will tell you, Rabbi, you think about Hanukkah, which is rooted in history, and that's what I love about our Judeo-Christian faith. Uh, it's 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 a result of history. These are historical events. You know, no one decided, hey, I'm going to make a religion. No, these are historical events out of which come an incredible faith tradition, two faith traditions, uh, yours and mine. But Hanukkah is, is rooted in history. Uh, give us a little bit about that history. Yeah, so this was temple. a this was a revolt uh, by. Uh, the Jews, the Maccabees, against the Syrian Greeks who sought to impose that Syrian Greek culture on them, who refused to allow the Jews to, uh, you know, practice their faith as they wanted to. Hmm. Uh, and they they desecrated the temple, smashed the menorah, and the Jews came in, found a little bit of oil, you know, it lasted eight days. And everybody said, that's the miracle, the oil lasting longer than it was supposed to. I think there's a greater miracle than the oil. That is that after the devastation, they even bothered to look for oil. The fact that they walked in and said, we are not going to give up. We fought against the Syrian Greeks. We are not going to give up our tradition. We're going to continue to practice as much as possible. And they found a little bit of oil. Isn't that, I know you're, you're a great believer in terms of hope for tomorrow. Isn't mm. that a message that in the difficult, darkest of times, we cannot succumb to that passive resignation. We have to still say it's going to get better, but we have to try to make it better. Can't just sit back and wait for God to help. We have to help until he helps. We are people of hope, and as clergy, we are practitioners and preachers of hope. How, how could a person live without hope, Rabbi? I, I, I don't it. think you can. I, you know, And they have found that in studies of people in hospitals, in difficult situations, and very often— it's the element of hope and prayer, knowing that a community is with you, uh, that helps you get through the, the challenging situation. Uh, recovery very often uh, happens to, to people of faith on a greater level than, than those without faith, right? Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We've had studies that prove that, that you cling on, you say, I got to get better. I have to do this. God, give me the strength to get better. You know, not that it's a guarantee. But it's a great source of inspiration. It's a catalyst uh, and very often has that cathartic change. That's good preaching, Rabbi. Yeah, good well, preaching. We, we try. Um, 
We've got a guest. Well, I just, before the guy, I just want to, want to say thank you. I shared with you recently the evangelical community, 51% said the Jews <laughs> are the chosen people. And I want you, because I know you're close to them, get me the names of the other 49% who uh, didn't vote that way. I want to know who they are and where they live. <laughs> I'll see what I can do to help All identify right. those individuals. Please. Our so, guest today, yeah, Thomas P. DiNapoli. The yeah. controller of the state of New York, who, beyond, as you know, because we both know him so well, beyond being a very capable uh, political leader, is a person of faith. He's a he's a person of, of real decency, and uh, we're proud to call him friend. Absolutely. We'll be back with more right here on 77 WABC, The Rev and The Rabbi. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, we have the privilege of speaking now to the 54th controller of the state of New York, the Honorable Thomas P. DiNapoli. And let me say this, that... uh, Years ago, he and I were honored. I by B'nai B'rith, he by Sons of Italy, which shows you their their judgment was at least 50% correct. um, (laughs) But it was a wonderful moment. We met, and we have become lifelong friends, and it's a great, great honor for me. And, Controller, I'm going to announce my retirement today because Reverend is assigning all of his unclaimed and uncollected funds to me. So I know I can now move on and keeping with Jewish tradition, move to Boca. (laughs) <laughs> and Thomas P. DiNapoli, thanks so much for being with the Reverend uh, Rabbi. We love having well, you. Well, Rabbi Joe, thank you for that nice introduction. And and Reverend Bernard, it's always great to be back with you. And I know you are way too smart. You would never sign off your <laughs> unclaimed funds to, Reverend, to, to Rabbi Potasnik. Never, never. But it's good to be back with both of you. I haven't done your show for, for too long. And I listened to it on, on, on Sunday morning. And you, you are a dynamic duo. And thank you for what you do. Uh, Mr. Controller, I want to begin also by thanking you uh, on behalf of uh, the Jewish community and so many other people uh, who applaud you for your decision to divest in Unilever because of the Ben and Jerry's, uh, you know, uh, boycotting products uh, on the West Bank. Uh, and you came forward and you said, look, we agree with that policy. It violates state policy. And I'm pulling back on the investment. Uh, Not everybody would do that, I think, but you have always been there for us, and we are with you. So thank you for uh, that commitment. Thank you for mentioning it, Rabbi. Let me just point out that we we established a policy back in 2016 that we were not going to be invested with the pension fund in companies that support uh, boycott divestment sanction uh, with regard to Israel. And, and and that's a very clear position that we take. So whenever a company that we invest in, and you know, we're, we're the third large, largest public pension fund in the country, so we're invested all over the place, largely through index funds and public equities. If we hear or following the news, see that they could potentially be engaged in BDS activity, we engage with the, the company and we ask the question, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Explain to us what's happening. 
in this case, Ben & Jerry's is, is a now a wholly owned subsidiary of Unilever. And frankly, Unilever, as the parent company, gave us an unsatisfactory response to that question. Uh, and we gave them a second chance uh, to try to answer our concerns. And they, they, you know, they basically just wrote, wrote us off. We prefer to be invested, not to divest. But we, our policy is pretty clear. And let me say this, uh, Rabbi and Rev, because uh, you know, I do want to make this clear. When we make our decisions, because you know, we have 1.1 million New Yorkers who are in our pension fund, we have to do it from the perspective of what's good for you know, our beneficiaries and our members. And, and we believe strongly that BDS, because it aims to harm uh, the Israeli economy, by extension harms our investments. Why do I say that? We have over $900 million worth of investments, public equity, private equity, uh, Israel bonds, and fixed income. We have a significant stake in the Israeli economy. So if you're looking to cripple the Israeli economy as part of a political agenda, you will put our investments there at Mm -hmm. risk. So we very much view this – I mean, I have my own, obviously, very strong opinions about support for the state of Israel. I think New York feels very close to Israel. That's been a long history. But we also viewed this as a risk to our investments. So, so, uh, look, I would have preferred Unilever had a different position. We had a similar issue with Airbnb not long ago where they were delisting properties uh, in, in the West Bank. We raised the concern. They changed their mind, and, they, and, they, and they, they reversed their initial policy decision. Let's hope with the pressure that New York and Florida, Arizona, uh, New Jersey, other states are, are putting, let, let's hope they, they make a different decision, and then we'd be happy to be invested with them again. You know, Comptroller, let me just commend you on your moral courage to uh, take a position like this and to clarify, because there are those who will say, well, you can't make decisions based on religion. This is not a religious decision. Uh, You had a fiduciary responsibility uh, and you had investments to protect and investors to protect. I think that's very, very important what you just stated. Yeah, it it is, and, and and I appreciate your emphasizing that, uh, Rev. But you know, part of the challenge we have as a public, you know, pension fund. Obviously, people have many opinions about where where we should put money, and and uh, you know, we have to look at it from the bottom line. But we also understand because we are a public entity that we ha- we have to look at the consequences of of where our capital is going. So we actually spend a lot of time, in addition to making smart choices on 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 how we invest to engage with the companies we invest in on a host of issues. I mean, this is this is one issue in terms of BDS. We have a clear policy there. But whether it's a, a labor issue, uh, an environment issue, especially on, 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 on climate, if it's a corporate governance issue, we've been making a, a big push uh, on diversity on, on boards of directors. We particularly a couple of years ago were part of a coalition to put more women on boards. In the aftermath of the George Floyd tragedy, we have stepped up our efforts for more diversity with regard to racial diversity on boards of directors, disability inclusion, making sure people with disabilities uh, have uh, working companies with friendly workplace policies, LGBTQ. You go down a long list of concerns. We understand that that the money we invest is money that, that public employees are putting into the fund, that taxpayers through government employers are putting into the fund, and we want to be long-term buy-and-hold investors. And that means the companies we invest in, we want them to be good corporate citizens on all these issues. So issues of diversity, equity, inclusion as part of the current debate, that's important to us. And and so it's what we, we call our double-line uh, approach to investing. Yeah, we want to make money, and that's our first priority. We also want to minimize risk, and we want to make sure that for the long haul, 
companies are going to be profitable because they, they are incorporating good corporate practices. And Rev and Rabbi, I'd say that usually is good moral practices as yeah. well. I was just going to say how heartening it is to know when you invest, it's not just about being fiscally responsible, it's about being morally responsible. Yeah. It's part of the equation, and you don't separate one from the other. Uh, you know, we always hear the president, governor, offer a state of the union. Talk about the state of the fiscal union now, after all that we have endured uh, during this COVID crisis. Where are yeah. we and where are we going? Yeah. Well, look, you know, the key word that you put in that question, Rabbi, was during. You know, I wish I could say it was in the rearview mirror and we've gotten through it. Obviously not with the current issue about uh, this latest variant. Uh, It's a real concern. And so in terms of fiscal impact, you know, until we're through this, uh, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. Where we're at, though, at the moment, from a a fiscal point of view for the state, is is certainly a much stronger position than we thought we were going to be in. That's for a combination of reasons. First of all, the economy has been recovered. Slowly, in fits and starts, but you know, tax collections remain strong. Sales tax collections are up. People are starting to uh, be rehired again. Although you know, we lost about 1.9 million jobs in New York State uh, at the depths of the the economic uh, shutdown, we've, we've grown back about 60% of those jobs. So we have a ways to go. But when we did our last uh, analysis of where the state budget was at, we're actually. Uh, as of October, uh, the most recent numbers, uh, over $8 billion ahead of where we thought we would be. So that's because the tax collections are coming in stronger than first anticipated. The legislature and the governor also increased taxes on our upper income New Yorkers. So that's being reflected in that. The big game changer, though, is the money from Washington. $12.7 billion for New York State directly, billions more for New York City and localities across the state for schools, hospitals. So, so that federal money has made the, the big difference. And I would just, you know, wrap up the question and my answer to your question by saying we have to keep in mind that federal money is not forever. We can't spend it like it's recurring money because it's not. We have to be careful. That's certainly the perspective we bring to the table from the controller's office. The hope is that the economy will continue to recover. And as the federal money is spent down, the economic resurgence uh, will, will then replace that money. But, you know. If people aren't careful, if this variant takes hold and we move backwards as far as having to to take some of the steps we took when the pandemic first hit, you know, that could put the economy in a negative way. You saw this past week, the markets being so volatile and being very negative based on the public health news. So so the public health issue very much underpins where where the economy is at and that underpins where the government revenues are at. Well, let me ask you something, uh, Comptroller. Uh, New York State receives the lion's share of its revenues from taxes, correct? Income taxes? Correct. Yep, right, right. Right. Income taxes, sales taxes, those are the two big revenue sources for the state. Yep. Right. And, you know, people complain about, you know, the taxes. And yet the quality of life here in New York compared to even Florida, I have to be careful here, or other places that you would think, you know, it would be a little bit better. Uh, the quality of life, quality of education is better here in in New York, even though the cost of living is higher. Rev, that's my perspective, certainly. Uh, That's why I'm proud I'm a a lifelong New Yorker and always will be. But I I think we also have to recognize that um, cost is an issue and people, you know, rightfully raise the question, are we getting full value? I think we are better than, than, than most other states. Healthcare, you didn't mention that. I mean, you know, if, if, mm-hmm. and especially as we understand 
through the pandemic, the importance of health care. You know, uh, God bless our, all of our medical professionals uh, here in New York. Uh, but we also also have to recognize that, that you know, there have been some d- significant disparities between communities in terms of who's able to access some of those services. Certainly from a New York City perspective, you know, there as we you know, look, look, we're going to have a change in administration with the city. You know, uh, Eric Adams coming in as mayor. A lot of concerns about public safety, about cleanliness, uh, homeless, uh, you know, on the streets. You know, so we're, we're, we're not perfect, right? We, we still have more work to do. And that's why, you know, our role, when we do an audit, we make recommendations, uh, you know, about a particular program. It's always with the view of, of, of trying to get the best value for the taxpayer dollar. Because you're right, we perhaps we do pay a premium in New York. And overall, I think the benefits certainly uh, outweigh the cost. Uh, but could we do better? Absolutely. Do we, do we have to make sure that everybody benefits equally? We have to do a better job on that front as well. And that's been the model for a good while. Who determines this model as to where the greatest percentage of revenues comes into the city? Is that the governor position? Who who, who makes those decisions? Well, ultimately, revenue choices, which, you know, largely get back to the question of taxes and, and what's the level of taxation. That's between the legislature and the governor at the state level, obviously, in New York City. You know, the the big tax that the city has direct control over is the property tax. So that would be the city council and the mayor in that regard. But as I said, one of the reasons why we're in, in, in strong shape right now is that the federal government uh, has really, in response to the pandemic, come through with an unprecedented level of support with the American Rescue Plan. And now we expect more money to come in with the infrastructure bill. And, and we know Washington is still deadlocked on the other piece of the Biden economic agenda, the Build Back Better uh, legislation. We'll see whether or not that uh, uh, survives. I think it will in some form and probably more money there. So so we don't control those decisions here in New York, but certainly the federal government has become an even bigger player in uh, in the strength of our budgets for New York City and for New York State. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We're speaking with the controller of the state of New York, Thomas P. DiNapoli. Mr. Controller, many would argue that, uh, as the candidate said years ago, he was running for office, the rent is too damn high, so the taxes are too damn high. <laughs> We're paying a lot of money. Crime is up. Uh, education is not what it should be. Uh, it's the streets. We have the proliferation of the homeless, a lot of problems here. So we're not getting value for what we're investing in. We could go to another state and have a more relaxed way of life. And maybe at a certain stage of life, people are more comfortable with that relaxed form and you lose them. And in many cases, they're not coming back. You know, and that has an impact. I I think when taxes are raised, you always have to ask the pluses and the minuses. What do we gain? What do we lose? And I, I think we have lost people uh, who did contribute significantly to the economy who said it's not worth it anymore. What do you say to them? Oh, it's a, it's a valid observation, but but I, I would also pivot back to you know what Reverend Bernard said. You know, if you look at what New York tries to do, and, and, and perhaps New York suffers from from being a state with a big heart and a long history of that. You know, this is a state where, particularly for vulnerable people, we may not always get it right. But we, we, we really do put a priority on trying very hard not to have uh, folks in the shadows. Again, 
not a perfect answer on that. But, you know, I think when I talk to folks that end up in other states, uh, yeah, maybe the weather is a little better. Maybe the taxes are cheaper. But very often uh, the public schools, I know not that we don't have some issues in our own state, but generally speaking, a lot of other states, you know, you you end up Mm -hmm. sending your kids to private school because the public schools, you just can't. Health care. You get really sick. God forbid you have someone in your family with a particular disease or condition. In many other states, you just don't have the the access to the health care. So, you know, I would still say in terms of of overall quality of life and certainly energy. Look, with all of New York City's problems, and you outlined some of them, Rabbi, but this is the place that that people want to be in terms of creativity, dynamism. uh, And New York's going to come back. Look, we're going through a tough spell right now. There's no doubt about it. The pandemic hit us hard and early, and we're still trying to dig out from under that. Uh, but New York is going to come back. I, I, I believe that strongly. This is the place that, you know, that people want to be. So, yeah, we've got to fasten our seatbelts. We've still got a rough few months ahead of us. Uh, there's going to be new leadership in the city. New York State as well. We've had a lot of changes in state government that we're all very familiar with. We've got a big election year next year, possibly even more changes. We'll see how it all shakes out. But um, I would never not bet on New York. And, 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 you know, we may not get it 100% right, but at least we try harder than anybody else to get it right. And I believe in the long run, we will. Spoken like a true New Yorker. I, I appreciate that, Controller. Controller, you, you took office 2007. Before that, you were assembly, state assembly. But 14 years that you have been Controller. Let's talk about the state of politics in our nation. Not just New York, but in our nation. Because you have to be in tune to all of this. Uh, what are your feelings on where we are politically? I'm concerned. I, you know, I, I, I've been involved... For a long time, I was one of those kids sitting in front of the TV in the 60s and 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 felt challenged and moved and inspired by Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement, by the Kennedy brothers. You know, the, the, the leadership at that time, uh, you know, from my perspective, there were some real uh, heroes that I could look to. And, you know, my concern right now is that the, the level of discourse in the political arena uh, let's just say it's not not uplifting. Uh, in fact, there's so much negativity, uh, so much pettiness in the discourse, personal attacks. And I know, you know, historically there's always some of that. That's not new, uh, but it just seems that we've we've gone to to a lower level in 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 recent years. And I worry about the young person, you know, as I was back then, inspired to get involved. Uh, to care about politics, about civic engagement, they're seeing the level of discourse that's out there, and 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 I worry that it's turning too many young people off. And 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 if we don't have that lifeblood of new infusion of of of, of young people into the political system to help us bring it to a better place, we're going to lose something very precious in our democracy. So I'm I'm not thrilled with where we're at right now, and 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 that's why, to a certain extent, I. I challenge back, you know, to uh, to you, Reverend and Rabbi, in the faith community. You know, we we need more guidance um, and challenge from the faith community to to have all of us understand about the need for civility, to be charitable to each other, even when we have disagreements. Um, we've got to do something to just elevate the level of discussion uh, out there, whether that's a discussion, you know, across the kitchen table or in the workplace or, you know, in the halls of Congress. It, it, it's, it's, yeah. We've got we've to make it better than it is right now. And I think we have to marginalize people who behave in that uncivil fashion. You know, it's unacceptable. 
And if you want to engage in that stuff, you want to engage in the name calling and all the put downs, uh, we're not for you. Let's have let's cancel culture work that way. Let's eliminate well, those who don't meet a certain decent standard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you know, and, and it's harder. It's harder. I mean, not to pick on social media like we all do, but I yeah. will. It's harder in the in the Twitter environment because. You know, the, the, the anonymity that people use, you know, then to post things or say things. You know, in the old days, you got a nasty letter to the editor that someone didn't sign once in a while. But now it's like one person says something lousy, 500 other people, you know, do the same. It's, 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 a, it's a different environment, and it's created new challenges that we haven't figured out how to master. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called the, the viral bandwagon, and people jump yeah. on it without even yeah. fact-checking to see if it's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you said something so important. When I was in school... Uh, which was just a, a short time ago. Uh, <laughs> like we, we had civic. We had civics. Yes, we, yes, it was part of the program. It was part of the curriculum, and that's not true in most schools uh, across our country, not just here in New York. Yeah, and yeah. and I think we 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 miss out as young people understanding the importance of government, the function of government, and how the system works. Rabbi, you remember, right? Yeah. No, you know it was. And not only that, I remember running home from school to watch the press conferences uh, with John F. Kennedy, yeah. right? And uh, mm-hmm. who was that mm-hmm. one report? Helen Thomas, right? He always right, would say, right. Helen Thomas for the But the exchange, the sharpness, the wit, the wisdom, you know, you were proud of the moment. You said, now, you can disagree with policy, but in terms of leadership qualities, uh, they were there. Then you you know you keep going and you find the nastiness has increased, the decency has decreased. But we accept it, we tolerate it, or we excuse it. Uh, you know, I have people say to me all the time, "Well, the policy is good. Forget the person." I'm a faith leader. I can't forget the person. We're all about you know the character of the person. Uh, right, right. We, we you know right, all of right, our right. all important. of our leaders were exemplars of of decency and dignity. So you can't just discard it. Rabbi, some of our assignments were going home and watching the news. Yeah. Uh, I, you but, know, of course, you were the one who told me about the Huntley Brinkley report. I, I, I didn't know who those two guys were. But, yeah, uh, yeah. That was this, is such a, this is such a key point because back then we all went home and they were, what, three networks that we looked at, we, we had a common source of information and reference. Now mm-hmm. you have all these different ways, you know, uh, you know, between cable and then obviously the Internet. You know, some people don't watch anything that's even remotely objective. They just go to a bias source that agrees with their predetermined thought on something. It just reinforces. We don't have a common meeting place to share ideas. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so we're, we're reacting with different sources of information. We can't even agree on the facts, let alone agree on the opinions about how to interpret those facts. And I think that's that's another problem. Yeah. I miss the days when we it's ABC, NBC, you know, or CBS, we, but it was all kind of the same information. It doesn't exist now. With there's, the ra- there's no commonality. With so the we, rabbit ears you know, on top no, of the TV. Yeah. 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 So, well, yeah, right, right. And the tin foil, but it wasn't working quite right. Uh, you know, but if, or the aluminum foil, whatever it was. No, but that, that's, that's one of the problems. We don't have a common source of, of data anymore. And, and, and so biases get reinforced, and we live in our own little echo chambers. It's a real, real problem. Yeah. But, you know, can I just say, uh, you know, because I'm sure a uh, segment may be coming close, a great moment that I was uh, privileged to be a part of was just, you know, this past week in Times Square, despite the cold, gathering together for the menorah lighting. And and, and, and Rabbi, you were there, mm-hmm. and obviously it was an important Jewish holiday. But what made it special 
Reverend Bernard had the choir from Christian yep, Cultural yep. Center there, and they were wonderful and, 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 and really reminded us that that universal message of Hanukkah, the, the victory of light over darkness, is one not just for Jews, one we all need to embrace, especially during the dark times that we've been talking about. That's that sense of hope. You know, that I, I, I still have sometimes... Sometimes it's a little buried in me, but it's still there. And I know certainly the work that so, the two of you do, uh, it's very much there. And, 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 you know, so to me, that's still the positive. And that's New York. Yeah. That's New York. A, a Jewish community coming together, uh, signing a, sh- shining a light against anti-Semitism, lighting the menorah, and having the Christian Cultural yep. Center, having their choir really uplifting the entire uh, celebration. You know, That's I, New York. I, you, 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 you said it so nicely. You said Christian Cultural Center, but we had a black gospel choir right there on the stage. Yeah. I'll say yeah. you know, And, you and know, that's, what, that's what we should see. Yeah, you know, know, these I, communities working together, not against each other. I remember yep. calling the Reverend. I said, we have this demonstration against anti-Semitism. You know, could we get, you know, your group, the choir? And he said, listen, anti-Semitism is our problem too. We're all in this fighting, you know, anti-Semitism. You should also know this past week was 66 years since Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. Mm -hmm. Look at Hanukkah fighting back against prejudice, hatred, you know, and, you know, those are the stories we need to tell our kids. Uh, You were talking about hope for the future. There was hope in the past that we can rekindle that light. uh, And there should be, you know, a rebirth of that uh, of that commitment to to making things better. So uh, it was a great moment. And again, it was cold, but it was warm in terms of uh, the human element there that said we we are not going to tolerate hatred against any group. Today, it's the Jews. Tomorrow, it's some other group. Uh, And and Rabbi, you know, the controller. You know, the controller is a person of faith. He doesn't talk uh, too much. He has to be careful. Yeah, but but, uh, but you know, when you say that, Rev, when you say that, Rev, I will say this about the controller. He's a person of faith, but he's been to more synagogues over the years <laughs> than any, I think, than people of the Jewish faith. I, I haven't been to as many synagogues as he's been to. Uh, and he's and he knows when he goes in, he knows the service. Uh, he knows, you know, the lingo. Uh, so he is a person, look, he's a, I know he goes to church on a regular basis. I've seen his attendance record every week. There's a check there and an, and an envelope. Um, but he's also one who respects other faiths. And to me, that's yeah. the consummate person of faith. Well, Rev, I appreciate you mentioning it, and and, and I. It's been a while. I have to get back, but going to CCC, uh, that is one of my great recollections. You know, my time as controller when I've had the chance on a couple of occasions uh, to be part of your wonderful congregation, and and as Rabbi Joe knows, uh, many of the Jewish celebrations has been a privilege for me to be a part of. But you know, I think. You know, for me, um, just like for my immigrant grandparents who came over, uh, it was the faith that got them through many, many tough times. And I feel I honor my grandparents and my parents when, when I continue that. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the Catholic faith that I was born into, uh, proud to be a cradle Catholic. But, you know, whatever you choose to have as your belief system, I just think it's so important to, to have something to hold on to, to believe in. And there, there is a greater presence out there that we need to, however we choose to do it. And uh, I just thank the two of you for being among the extraordinary religious leaders that we have in our in our great uh, city and state of New York. Well, thank you. Rev, I just want to say, you want to know about Tom DiNapoli? Whenever I would go to a ceremony where he was playing a significant role, either as, a, either as an honoree or honoring someone else, he consistently would mention his father. 
And I remember when his father was sitting in the audience and he would talk about his dad. And I would say to his dad later on, isn't it, isn't it so nice when a child is proud of a parent? Uh, yeah. Because his parent was proud of him, that's for sure. But yeah. when you see that relationship, and with his whole family, I've, I've met members of the family, the closeness they enjoy uh, is an example of, of real love and loyalty to one another. So he's very special, and New York State is very privileged to have him as our controller, Thomas B. Dinell. Absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, controller, for being with us. And just a, a great person, never mind controller, not never mind, but in addition to controller, you're just a great person, and we appreciate that because sometimes you can have someone doing very well in political office, but as an individual, as a human being, it's a different right, story. Right. Thank you for being the, well, the, the person you are. You're both too kind. Thank you very much. Let's not make it so much time between uh, my being on your show. All Amen right. To that. Look forward to it. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye. And we'll Bye-bye. be back with more of The Rev and, and the, the Rabbi. Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi. Talk Radio 77 WABC and the all-new WABCradio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rabbi, I was happy to hear that morality counts for a whole lot because you wouldn't know it if you read, you know, some of the papers, the accounts of various individuals. Morality when you invest funds, morality when you seek a leadership position. Uh, We've been preaching that for years. Uh, And, you know, unfortunately, I think in the political arena, uh, we become very, very or excessively pragmatic is policy trumps everything. Uh, policy matters more than anything else. As long as the policy is right, who cares about the person? And uh, call me, you know, naive, Pollyannish, I still want both. I want policy and person linked together. And we have to, I think that's the aspiration. Well, you know, you hit something on the head there because in contracts, employment contracts, with major corporate executives, vice president, president, CEO, there is a morality clause. There's a clause that says that if this mm-hmm. person engages in behavior, immoral behavior that jeopardizes the corporation, they can lose that position. That was all part of it. There's also a clause in, in partnerships. Uh, believe it or not, we're doing a development project, a sizable development project in in, in, in Brooklyn. And uh, in that partnership, there is a clause there that uh, allows a partner to default if they engage in any type of uh, immoral behavior yeah. that's going to jeopardize the project. Moral so that's very, moral very turpitude. Real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, not that we expect people to be flawless, uh, but there there is a difference between the major and the minor. There's a difference between, you know, uh, horrific acts and, and things that are stupid mistakes. We, we can tolerate stupidity on some level. We should not tolerate immorality on any level. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I mean, we've lowered our standards. When Moynihan spoke of the dumbing down, uh, we've dumbed down, you know, morally. Uh, and it's a shame because if we want young people to look up and respect us, then we have to stand for something. Because otherwise, the message is anything goes. As long as you get it done, you can be the worst person in the world, and you will succeed. You will win. Um, and that's not... And that's, that's a problem. And, and, and let me tell you, we have a trust problem 
in our society as it is. Uh, the masses are having a hard time trusting leadership, whether it's elected officials, even clergy, because of the things that have come out. Competence and character equals trust. You can't have one without the other. You can have someone competent, but they lack character. You can't trust them. You have someone who has great character, but they don't know what they're doing. How can and you, you trust them to lead? And you can't buy honesty. You can't buy decency. Either you have it or you don't have it. Yeah. You know, making yeah. a contribution, well, well, look, we're all, you know, hurting in some way. We all need, you know, support, but we can't sacrifice. I remember years ago at a school, uh, one of the benefactors, they had found, you know, a horrific background. They did research and they found out, did some things that were terrible, abuse. And they said, your name is coming off, you know, and we're giving the money back because we can't say that we've, you know, taken money from someone who's indulged. We can't show our students that that's acceptable behavior. Now, you pay a price for that, but ultimately I think you gain uh, because people respect you more. And when there's that respect, then you can really succeed as you should. Yeah, I, and we play it down. Um, you know, there are issues that come, come up with athletes, and there are actually moral clauses in their contract, which gives the team, the league, or, or even the company paying the athletes who endorse the product, the right to terminate a contract or, or even punish the player who engages in criminal or, or unseemly uh, behavior. Those things are very real. So what does that say? To us in terms of our value for morality. We want to make sure that those that we're paying a lot of money to, whether it's for their, you know, uh, athletic ability or their leadership, we want them to be morally responsible. My parents would often teach me, we can't leave you a lot of valuables, but we can leave you a lot of values. And mm. that's, I've been the beneficiary, thank God, uh, of the values and tried to emulate you know, what they taught me, what my tradition teaches me doesn't mean I'm always doing that, which I should. Uh, but at least when I'm wrong, I'll recognize it, admit it and correct it. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, yeah. the, that's yeah. the path on which we need to travel. Yeah, I think no one's perfect, but there should be a degree of consistency when it comes to moral standards. Mm -hmm. You know, we're imperfect people. That's 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 very real. But consistency, if they're, you're not consistent in keeping with those moral standards uh, to a, a, a you know reasonable degree, then we have to question you and your leadership, your relationship, et cetera. That's just, that's real. A good person is one who strives to be a better person. So yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's at least accept, let's, we're, we're good, but we can be better. All yeah. right, good conversation. Yeah, and great guest. Uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time. I didn't. I didn't mean to say he's been in there for fourteen years, like it's too long. <laughs> but uh, no, you know, he's, he's he's done a great job, and he's been a good friend. He's a he's just you know you say he's a nice guy. He's the nice guy par excellence. I don't think you yeah. can find nicer than Tom DiNapoli. and uh, we know him, and uh, we're we're honored to call him a friend. Absolutely. And thank you, our friends, our listeners who tune in to us weekly, who follow us uh, on social media, etc. cetera. Uh, we enjoy having these conversations with you and coming to you every week and trying to find interesting guests to have quality discussions. 
and um, you know, educate the rabbi as much as I can. So that's a, that's a, that's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong <laughs> process. I'm trying. I'm trying to be better, as I said. You are. You're, you're getting better. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Until next time, the Rev and the Rabbi. And the Rabbi. <laughs>